Hi everyone, it's Dominic from the MS Guide, and I'm really fortunate today to be joined by Professor Stefano Placino at Cambridge. Um, what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about, Stefano's going to help us put everything into context, and that will make sense in a second about what's coming when and what it's like, etc. And Stefano's a real expert in this stuff, so I'm just going to turn it over to him and uh, let him introduce himself. So, hi. Hi, Dominic. Thanks very much for hosting me. So, as you said, my name is Stefano Plukino, and I'm a professor of Jersey Neurobiology at the University of Cambridge, and my long-standing interest since my early days in science is around uh, advanced therapeutics, including cell therapies, gene therapies, and anything cool and fancy which might hold the promise of uh, succeeding where previous uh, therapeutic uh, uh, options have failed. Uh-huh. So that's, um, I'd say... You came to my attention, if that makes sense, because I did a podcast with a friend and we were looking at, you know, you're the guy behind the injecting the stem cells into the brain directly. I'm not, I'm not a guy behind. I'm one of the guys behind. But I, yeah, this, is becoming, this is becoming more and more global uh, initiative uh, uh, Sure. as the time goes by. Uh, but yes, I, I, I want, I, I'm one of the authors of that paper that you and your friend uh, were commenting. If you yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's all amazing stuff. And, you know, from the patient perspective, everybody I know, and judging by a lot of the comments I get and everything, it, it's almost, dare I say, sort of almost desperation. You're hanging on for stuff. You know, I've had MS for 31 years, and uh, I've had five DMTs, and it's the kind of thing where you just think, I want to do the best to minimize this the most. And then there's many people I know, a friend, Mark Webb, for example, you know, with advanced MS, there's a great feeling often that the sort of ship has sailed for anything to happen in our lifetime. And then we look at something like this and think, oh, good grief, this is amazing. So what I wanted to talk to you about, though, was really this whole, I suppose, psychological thing that we all have as patients. And it's it, and I wanted to use your expertise to try and help put into context and set expectations, because I think it's super cool. But I think we all need to understand where we are with things and everything. So, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you was all these technologies and therapies, because it's not the HSCT that many people are accustomed to, the idea of having your own stem cells. You're talking about using other stem cells. Is that correct? Yeah, it is correct. Yes, it is correct. Uh, and, and how does that work? Uh, okay, so sh shall we start from the way it works, and then we can uh, jump into the context and the expectation, which is what do you want to discuss? Sure, yeah, yeah, it's just, so I'm, I'm ignorant to all this, so it's going to be for enough, yeah. The way it works, biologically and scientifically, is purely fantastic, and that's why there is so much, uh, so much excitement around, and there is so much enthusiasm, and there is so much uh, expectation, yes, really. Mm. And, uh, and uh, I've been dedicating the last 20, 20, 20 plus years of my career, to not only to um, preclinical work aiming at addressing whether there is a space for advanced therapeutics to be to be of impact in uh, in in MS, but also to understand uh, the way they work. And the way they work is uh, multiple ways of, of working, because they are they are uh, fully uh, naturally occurring live biological entities that we inject. Uh, in vivo, either in animal models of MS-like disease or MS-like lesions, or as, as, as we, we have done recently, in people with real disease, in people with MS. Yeah. They work by multiple modalities. They're able to um, uh, 
survive and to migrate and to integrate in the in the in the in what would what we call the hot, uh, which means the hot planted uh, yeah. uh, animal individual. They are able to differentiate and to give rise to a mature progenies of uh, brain cells because they are multipotent. So they can give rise to uh, malinforming cells. They can give rise to astrocytes. They can give rise to, to neurons of different types. Uh, but also, the radar species, should we call them naive stem cells? They mm. have the ability, when I say naive, I mean they, they haven't gone down, I, I'm, I'm this or I'm that route yet. The potential is to not only remyelinate, because that's what a lot of people talk about, but actually helping regenerate nerves. Is that fair? Ma remyelination is a, is, a, is a mechanism for regeneration. It is uh, damage-induced regeneration of myelin. Mm -hmm. The way the general, the lay public or the general public uh, expects uh, regeneration to happen in the brain is very similar conceptually to what everyone has been used to in the skin or in the liver, which is complete regeneration of, a, of an entire part of a given organ, which I don't think is yet fully achievable in the brain in real life. The way uh, uh, tissue-specific stem cells like the one that we have studied and we are studying work is, again, by keeping a certain um, grade of multipotency specific for the tissue. So basically and logically, when injected back into the brain, they find a familiar, if not hospitable, environment. But what is absolutely outstanding, unexpected, remarkable, is that they also uh, uh, all other abilities. And the other abilities were, were not uh, even considered when uh, stem cells were initially proposed as advanced therapeutics, because the, the, the old dogma, if you like, it's a dogma, is that uh, I have a damage, I have a loss of tissue, and I will make new tissue with the, with the stem cells. But what was completely unexpected is that stem cells also have uh, abilities to provide indirect support. And the type of indirect support uh, is uh, com composed by a, a, a release of molecules which are anti-inflammatory, release of molecules which are neuroprotective, uh, ability to um, promote cell-to-cell -cell interaction, even exosomes. They're able to release tiny vesicles, which are we call them like Amazon-like parcels, uh, to deliver information to to target cells. So the complexity of the the way they work is very very high. And uh, what is becoming more and more evidence evident uh, is that they are able to adapt some of these functions based on the environment. So in other, in other words, this is a real, it looks like science fiction. I, I agree with you. It's a, and which, which is beautiful, but is, which might also be another problem because uh, patients especially might become impatient when this type of fantastic new... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's this whole thing, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, it would just be to get rid of the effects that MS has on me. You know, so you're just, you know, as a non-scientist, you're you're wondering about this. By the way, I think it's important to mention this point. You actually, you're a neurologist who treats patients as well. You're not just somebody stuck in a lab, shall we say. You know, yeah.
Exactly. Oh, no, I mean, that, that's brilliant. I, mean, I, I wish there was more people that sort of thought about it like that. Sometimes I think patients think there's often they feel a disconnect between the neurologists and them, but, you know, not with everybody. But so these, is it fair to say when you started doing this, what they were doing was exceeding your expectations? You, you were finding out things that you didn't think would even happen. Absolutely. Completely right. 100%. Right. And at this stage, research being what it is, you it's in the people with advanced MS at this stage, isn't it? Where, I mean, bluntly, I think from an ethics research point of view, they think, well, somebody has less to lose if they're very, very advanced in the disease. You know, they'll take greater risks. It's, I mean, the bulk of us with relapsing remitting aren't going to get, we can't go to our doctor and say, please, may I have some stem cells injected into my brain? In full honesty with you, the, the type of preclinical work that we have done in the last 20 years uh, is so comprehensive and so open to uh, different uh, modalities of actions and different models, which I think is uh, biological and not room also to think of relapsing remitting. Of course, yeah. we have to be also realistic and we have to deal with what's available on the NHS and how much effective the biologics we have are. So I think the the... the decision of uh, um, running a, a phase one first in man proof of concept feasibility study that, that's a feasibility study with no control group yeah. people with progressive MS and very advanced disease is combination of ethical impediments or ethical reasons and also vision moving forward should the trial as it was the case uh, be successful but yeah. as I said at the beginning in our preclinical work we have also tested and that's where we, when we discovered this anti-inflammatory action, the uh, the very same technology against the models of relapsing remitting MS in laboratory animals. So there is there is a very very wide range of therapeutic actions which might make them uh, potentially working also in non-progressive forms of MS. But we have to be honest that what do we have available as a list of fully approved uh, disease modifying therapies is remarkably effective. Mm. on relapsing remitting itself, what's uh, still a very, very big answer, unanswered question and a clinical unmet need uh, is progression, transition to progressive MS, and how to uh, interfere with disease progression and uh, disease evolution in later stage of the disease. Yeah. Let, let me ask you, here's, it's the million-dollar question, and um, but who's going to benefit from this? How are they going to benefit from it? You know, when, when this, let's play pretend and say this is now available, you know, would somebody have to have a hospital procedure? Would they get a pill? Would they have an infusion? I mean, if I turned up tomorrow and it was given to me, you know, how would, it, how would you expect it to benefit me or somebody else? Like a reduction in disability or fatigue or all of these things or, or what? So first of all, I have to, co to, to correct you or to contradict you. Uh, the paper is not saying that this is available. No, 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 I realize, but I'm saying, you know, let me clarify because I think it's important to clarify the wording and the semantics. The paper is not yeah. saying this is available. The paper is saying this is doable. Yeah. It's uh, 
you know, black and white, completely different uh, oh, discussion. Oh, technical development. To, to make it available, first of all, you have to show that it is doable. Sure. You can do it. Sure. The paper is the beginning of, a, yeah. of another very long journey, which is uh, human studies. And uh, the initial step to, to, to gain credibility and to gain... Uh, 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 support and to gain, uh, you know, uh, to to answer some of the expectation from uh, uh, patients who have, uh, in any case, read about our preclinical work, and who were, I think, a little bit annoyed by the fact that we kept working in animal models, like many, many other um, uh, colleagues in the field, is that you have to show that it is doable, and in association to the feasibility, you also have to show, you have the responsibility to show it, that it is not toxic and it does not lead to adverse events. So from this major point of view, the trial was a fantastic success. Now we are at the beginning of another journey where the second step would be to show that there is uh, uh, evidence, that you're able to demonstrate yeah. evidence of efficacy. And then the, the, the tricky point is to identify which uh, primary and secondary outcomes or primary and secondary endpoints are, uh, do, um, again, realistic to, 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 to be addressed and uh, how many of them are accepted as potential important endpoints to verify that a new treatment uh, has an effect in, uh, in, in a very complex disease like progressiveness. Then going back to your initial very ambitious question, well, yeah, it is shoot for the moon ambition. I understand yeah, yeah. the availability of something which is uh, very experimental uh, inevitably has to be delayed uh, uh, up to the very end of this clinical journey, which means that please, we're in somebody's head forty years ago, as a, you know, somebody in a in a laboratory sort of playing with chemistry. The things we take now, I, I think people don't always understand how long it takes to get it from. So I, think, I can give a couple of examples just to be very, very crude. Yeah, yeah. But you mentioned at the beginning, uh, still, still, uh, you know, staying, uh, gravitating around uh, cell therapies. You mentioned at the beginning the autologous and metabolic approach, which seems to be, you know, piece of cake because it's done uh, in an hospital. There is still very discussion, very much discussion. I saw a post from you on, on LinkedIn uh, half an hour ago. There is lots of discussion of why this is not, you know, flying yet. Why clinical trials are not receiving uh, uh, enough attention to fly? Uh, this is a procedure which has been established in hospitals in mid sixties. Mm. Uh, autologous hematopoietic cell transplantation for people with blood malignancies. Yeah, I mean that's my stepfather. Autologous is my stepfather. Yeah, it's an established procedure in the hospital since mid sixties, and still. Uh, it is believed, right or wrong, as not fully um, routine therapeutic procedure for people with uh, high aggressive, high high evolving uh, uh, young people, of course, relaxing the meeting of this. So that, that I'm not saying that I've been to a, a hematologist, you know, the people that do this, you know, who treat the blood cancer, and they were looking at me. To them, this is bread and butter, something they do day in, day out. But many neurologists treating MS still act as if you've handed them a hand grenade with the pinout, you know. And it's this is what I was commenting on in the LinkedIn post for the Star MS trial is, you know, it's just 
offering it to people and having them. It's not that whether it works or not, or it's been done, but it's just these two parts of the medical field. You know, the hematologist going, what's the issue? And many, many, not all, but many, many MS neurologists going, oh my God, you don't want that. And it's just, it's just, but that's a kind of side thing because you know, from today, nothing I appreciate would be available for say 10 or 15 years. But I, I am wondering in the sort of give me hope kind of idea that what might it be able to do for people, you know, if you were going to play pretend and project forward 15 years and say, so we've gone through all the research, what sort of benefits would it, you be hoping to provide to an MS patient in 15, 20 years time? I think that, that uh, so the, there, is a, um, there is a fixed base of progression of knowledge and science, which I don't think we can, we can, we can modify much. Uh, we have a fantastic technology available nowadays, which was not available, say, 10 years ago, which might allow us and which are really allowing us making careful, precise predictions of outcomes. So my sense, my feeling is that in the next 10, 15 years, we will be realistically able to produce and to provide way more than what we were able to provide in 10 years, 15 years, 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, in terms of quantification, I don't think I'm able to quantify what and, and, and by when. But I can tell you, I, I think this is very, very uh, public. So there is, uh, uh, I would say, global interest towards progressive MS. There is a fantastic initiative which is receiving support from individual patient society worldwide, which is called the SMS Alliance. Yeah. Uh, there is a specific uh, 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 agenda in the uh, MS, uh, in, in, in MS, for MS and for the PMS Alliance, which is specifically pointing at understanding mechanisms of progression and developing new therapeutics to stop progression or to prolong regeneration. Remyelination is one of these key topics, but not only remyelination. No. So I think that in the next 10, 15 years, uh, there will be uh, uh, more drives, there will be more um, disease-modifying therapies, there will be more and more BMTs for progressive MS. There will be also these uh, cultural game-changing uh, uh, new concept, which is uh, that we have uh, we have several medications which are fully approved, which uh, share common mechanisms of action with uh, different conditions and which can be repurposed uh, very straightforwardly to progressive MS or to, to MS without starting again from early stage uh, clinical trials. Yeah. Want to Rafinol or or is one of the example. And, uh, now we are dealing with metformin and alpha-lipoic acid in the octopus trial. The very same exercise is being done towards motodion disease. So there is a global alliance which uh, are putting together on the, on the same ta table of discussion common several neurodegenerative conditions which are common mechanisms with the idea of uh, having not only meta-analysis on different trials but also to to re re purpose, medications which have already got, undergone very extensive clinical stage and clinical experimentation in conditions which uh, have not yet been trialed for those medications. So I, I think the next 10, 15 years uh, are going to be very, very interesting, not only for us as clinicians and physician scientists, but also for patients. Sure. I mean, it's just, it all looks slightly sci-fi, but, you know, as I said, but you know, the whole thing is you you're thinking, so what will this do for me and when will it do it? You, you know what I mean? Because it's the, you know, you've got the clock ticking in your head. And then, again, it's, 
it's my experience talking to other people with sort of quite progressive MS that they feel like they've sort of crossed the Rubicon and they're now not in a position where they could be treated or helped. Whereas things like the Progressive MS Alliance, it's expressly looking at people with the condition that's got to that stage. Uh, absolutely. And uh, uh, it's important for, for patients not to, to lose their hope. There is two things which are happening very actively, and uh, the PMS Alliance is one example, but there is also smaller, fully academic or very minimally profitable in the initiative. One is very close to us. I think here, one of your best friends, uh, it's the, the, the clinical leader, the trial, which is called Chariot, uh, yeah. uh, which is very innovative in the way it is assessing, not anymore uh, the usual EDSS, which, which, mm. which is very much biased towards ability to work but it is residual upper body function, yeah. which uh, I think might be game-changing when developing new uh, patient-reported outcomes or matrix to assess yeah. the value of new therapeutics in clinical trials. So that in that specific case, the medication is clatter-related, but I think the idea is applicable to many other medications. So there is a PMS alliance, there is individual trials. There is also uh, uh, new medications which are being repurposed to MS specific specifically for people with uh, uh, advanced disease. And there is also in parallel this uh, very interesting, re, I would say, refinement of the concept of window of opportunity, because the window of opportunity is still very much empirical. We, we as clinicians uh, uh, don't know with, when to treat. It is under continuous revision, but in, in uh, specifically applied to progressive MS, what, what's happening is that uh, a few trials are already testing this combination therapy approach by which uh, uh, fully approved BMTs for relapsing and missing MS are, are being combined with uh, medications expected to promote uh, brain restoration, brain repair, brain regeneration early during the disease in order to either delay the transition to progression or slow it down much more specifically if uh, proposing or offering that treatment later in life. There is, a aspect, uh, sorry. there is a final aspect uh, of disease, which is not yet uh, fully MS-specific, which everyone in the field is now getting very interested to study, which is physiological or pathological brain aging. So there is also the possibility to combine in the future the MTs develop, fully developed specifically for MS, small molecules being repurposed from other indications, and uh, I wouldn't say rejuvenation therapy, but it is uh, medications which have the ability to slow down also cellular senescence and cellular aging, which in combination may have a much higher impact in terms of predictive clinical outcomes. Okay. You mentioned clinical, you mentioned the, the empirical window of opportunity. And the thing that always sticks in my head is many, many trials have 55 as a cutoff age for inclusion. Now, as somebody who's going to be 55 in the next couple of weeks, I'm thinking, you know, that you know what it's like when you're younger, you, you just don't conceive of being older. And then all of a sudden, it, it's just like, oh, God, I'm going to fall out of the window to be included in something cool. Whereas Chariot, as you mentioned, I think the upper age limit is 80, you know, but it would be really nice, I think, to know that there's things, yeah, you know, this notional 55, you know, goodbye. You know, one day you're okay, the next day you're not for it. That's why I mentioned the aging. Yeah. Because we are realizing that uh, the, the worldwide population is aging much more now. That aging is becoming uh, uh, another uh, very relevant uh, unmet need in clinic. Uh, 
uh, associated or not to, in association or not with diseases. And Charlie uh, uh, is one example, but even uh, octopus is now uh, uh, considering people at uh, I think the upper limit seventy five. Right. So we are increasing more. The more we experience we make, and the more confidence we gain, the the the, bro the broader inclusion criteria we are proposing. Right. So if we were going to put this into a sort of timeline, because it was one of your colleagues who was telling me when I was asking how and where does remyelination fit in specifically, and they said, well, hopefully the idea would be to give somebody a DMT and a remyelination drug at the same time. To, everything essentially. I think of it as chemical breaks, you know, but then the remyelination is possibly repair, you know, because it's this idea that you could actually get something back as opposed to just keep what you have and slow down the loss. You know, it, it's this restoring function. So in, in time terms, when we're able to start restoring function in MS is going to be 10, 15, 20 years. Do you, I mean, you know, I'm not going to nail you to this, and this is for patients. This is from a patient perspective, not not a scientific. Yeah, being politically correct, I can say ten years, fifteen years, which is a which is a, a good enough space, especially because I really think that in ten, fifteen years, uh, I would be retired. Uh, uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, in that fact, it would be enough progress to um, address some of these uh, still outstanding questions. Um, I think I'm not retire. Joe is the kind of guy that could ever retire. Your brain would not stop. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, no, I was trying to make a point, which I think is critical, especially because the ambition of our conversation today was to provide the right context. Mm. Um, remalination is uh, uh, indeed very popular and very, uh, also very much expectation because there is uh, evidence that uh, if there is uh, anatomically damaged, nerve fiber and you provide exogenous myelin or provide means but to make myelin again uh, uh, before that uh, anatomically damaged or anatomically demyelinated nerve fiber will start dying uh, uh, the function that was lost is uh, rescuable mm. but i think that in the complexity of ms and it's a uh, uh, very high level of heterogeneity across uh, life uh, uh, stages and across life uh, uh, we have to focus to uh, recovering function and restoring functions. And the restoration of functions, since uh, uh, the modalities of uh, uh, this function are very, very broad in MS, not, it is not just demyelination, but it is also different levels of uh, persistent activation of microglia and astrocytes. It is uh, uh, excessive amount of uh, scar formation in the brain. It is also blood vessel uh, uh, reorganization from a very simple uh, 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 leakage or uh, increased permeability in the acute phase towards uh, uh, inability to recycle uh, uh, products which accumulate extracellularly. So I think that uh, clinical trials are important to, help, to allow us and to help us identifying which specific outcomes to focus when uh, aiming at restoring function, something which uh, for many, many years, since I was a resident in neurology, has been neglected, and which is instead becoming very relevant in MS. And another aspect of similarity with other neurodegenerative conditions is mentation. Mentation, memory, and uh, ability to focus and to um, 
advocate having a logical approach to uh, uh, daily activities is something that is emerging as a very, very important uh, endpoint in a efficacy clinical trial. So, I, and, and myo might not be related with remarination. Myo might not be related with uh, uh, decreased vulnerability of neurons, even those which uh, biologically are non-myelinated uh, neurons. So, I, I think uh, it's become our conversation might become a little bit complex. But what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, the, the, the combination therapy or the multiple target approach, uh, I think in the next five years would be the one that uh, has more chances to make a difference. That, that's really, let me, I appreciate you giving up your time. I know you're busy. Can I just wrap this up for everybody? Because this is the really sort of key to me where the rubber hits the road kind of thing. You do trials, Professor Schmerer Klaus does trials. How do people, Go about getting involved because you saw that post, you know, the, the the one I commented, Star MS, because people are not having it mentioned to them by their neurologist. So if if you're going to take this into your own hands as a patient, and I'll put this all in the show notes and the description, etc. So the different trials, but if you want to be involved in Chariot or if you want to be involved in Octopus or anything else, what do you do as a patient? This is a very important quest question, and I'm very sensible to the matter of uh, uh, the accessibility to uh, not only to uh, research and the, the the possibility to be uh, to be informed about research, which I think uh, is uh, is extremely well done by several MS societies. But the the, the the dissemination of science and outputs of, of science in a very understandable language is done brilliantly by multiple bodies. Yeah. Something else which I think is critical, and uh, we started mentioning very briefly at the beginning, is that uh, uh, research for people with MS has to be free. And uh, I'm very sensible to uh, those patients who are desperate or are feeling uh, isolated or are feeling desperate and are feeling, uh, you know, that no one is listening to them. Yeah. And, uh, and decide to enter into uh, parallel uh, 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 pathway where they find their own private uh, uh, institutions or private clinics and they pay with their own uh, pocket money. This is something that is very bad. So yeah. participation to clinical trials is free. It's free. And uh, 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 the usual pathway is uh, to ask your leading or uh, referring neurologist because that, that's the most important individual you might speak with. And so people need it said to them, I think. You know, they are, and then you, 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 if your neurologist is part of the network, that's easy. Mm. If your neurologist is out, you or she shouldn't be shy to contact us and to send an email and to refer the patient for an additional round of discussion and eventually for a screening or consideration for trials. Again, trials are free. Yeah, so trials are free. So if you want to get involved in trials, you... I'm, being touched, just being touched. So I'll put I'll put the links in and so, yeah. but there's things like there's clinicaltrials.gov, which is a website which all the major clinical trials are listed on and stuff. Because sadly, in a perfect world, somebody would come up and say, "Oh, by the way, these are the ones." But really, I find you you often get a lot done by doing it yourself. You know, finding out yourself. But there's no, ways to do it. Something the UK MS Society has um, 
as made, which are, which are, which I think is a great initiative uh, uh, and is available to us as a scientific community for multiple reasons, is the generation of uh, a new KMS uh, uh, register, which, as we speak, is being used as a vehicle to uh, allow interested individuals being considered for clinical trials. So basically, you register yourself, so you, you describe very quickly yeah. Uh, how the disease you are affected by looks like, and uh, you're given a code, and uh, uh, you express whether you are interested in participating to trials, uh, and uh, you are there. And by the time a trial starts, we as clinicians will be... Uh, 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 so you can go to the MS register, and anybody who's registered, and gosh, I keep banging the drum, and say you're interested in research, yeah. people like you can go, oh, look, there's Dominic, he's king. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, correct. Right. Okay. So no, I just sometimes I mean it feels obvious, but it's not. You know, it's uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll put all those links in. No. Stefano, I really appreciate you giving up some of your time I, uh, on a Friday. My so I just like to say thank you again from me and from everybody who's watching this, and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you for everything. Thank you. All right. Brilliant. Bye.